And I think that tonight I just want to examine a few life lessons that God wants to leave with us so we can be the people that he has called us to be, the paradoxical commandments. John 17, verse 11, we're starting there. And now I am no more in the world. This is Jesus praying for his disciples, very pastoral prayer, very touching. The close of his ministry, he knows the cross is before him. And he says, but these are in the world, and I, and I come unto thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost. But the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled, talking about Judas. And now I come unto thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hateth them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. Did you notice that? I pray that we, we sometimes we want to be out of the world because of the, the strain, the, 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 the pressure. But Jesus is saying, I, I don't want them out of the world. Don't take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from evil. God doesn't necessarily want to just, if we would have been raptured the moment that we got filled with his spirit, we would have been raptured the moment that we, we had God's salvation experience in our life, at work in our life. When we obeyed the gospel, we would have been raptured in that moment, except God has a plan for our lives. God has a purpose for us. And, and he said, keep them, but keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. Located here, shoe leather, planted on terra firma, in the world. But our heart is not of this world. Our mind is not of this world. Our activity is not of this world. Yes, we're here, but God, keep us from evil. That's, that's a common prayer that we pray. In the world, but not of it. Father, I thank you for the power of your word. And Jesus, I understand that it may already have done the work that you required it to do in somebody's life. But I pray that you would crown the next few moments that we have together with your presence. Lead us and order our steps tonight, I pray. I give you great praise because you and you alone are a great God. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. And the church said amen. Amen. Why don't you just shake hands with a neighbor or shake them their hand as you're seated. Without a doubt, we are, <clears throat> there is a responsibility that we have to interact with the people around us. Some of you, you're reading that first commandment and you're thinking, I can fill in that blank. People are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Leave them anyway. Forget them anyway. <laughs> Ignore them anyway. You, you want to fill in the blank and... And I understand that. But work with me just for a few minutes tonight. People are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. How many would be able to say amen to that? Because you know you are. And I know I am. Here's the blank. Love them anyway. Love them anyway. 
Love is the central tenet of Jesus' teaching. As a matter of fact, you can find it from his opening conversations with disciples all the way through to the Last Supper. In that last message that he had for them, he, he commanded them. He said, love one another. He said, by this, by that activity, by that love one for each other, that's when people will know, someone say they'll know, that they are disciples. He said, the one thing that's going to set you apart is your love one for another. He, not, their, not their preaching, not their teaching, not their singing ability, not, not how many people they had as followers, not the congregants that they could assemble in a building or in a teaching seminar. That, that didn't have anything to do with it. He said, this is how men are going to know that you are my disciple. He said, and that you love one another. If you love one another, he said, that's when they're going to know. Now, we all know that loving one another is easy when things are good. We know that loving one another is easy when, uh, when, when the love is flowing. It's mutual. It's, you know, it's just those opportunities that we have. And, and it's, you know, you shoveled my driveway. I'm going to shovel yours. We love one another. You scratch my back, I'll scratch. No. That's just the way it works. We, we love, it's easy to love one another when things are good. However, love isn't just a feeling. Can I, can I emphasize that tonight? Love is not a feeling. I've heard, as a matter of fact, it was, it was Brother Dudley that told us in Bible college. He said, if you can fall in love, you can fall out of it. Sometimes we are so convinced that, that, that we can fall in love and, and we're just going to maintain that blissful feeling of having fallen into love. But the reality of love being a command is going to come home before long. Everybody in a relationship longer than a week <laughs> knows that love sometimes becomes a command, not just a feeling. And, and Jesus had, a, had a, a scribe come to him in Mark chapter 12, and, and a, a, you know, he knew that he had great teaching, and he, he asked him, he said, what's the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus responded in Mark 12, verse 29. Jesus answered him, and he said, the first of all the commandments is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love. Just stop right there for a minute. Thou shalt love. Thou shalt. The same way that he was telling them, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not covet. He said, all, all those things that you, you shall not do. He said, there are some things that you shall do, and thou shalt love the Lord your God. That was a command. I, I love it when it's a feeling of love, but, but there's another whole element that, that it's a command that we love God. Because when we follow through in that command, there are actions that follow in our life. We live in a culture that says, follow your heart. And we know your heart is going to take you down the wrong path. We know that there are times when your heart is not going to lead you to do the right thing. We know that sometimes your heart gets hurt by the people that you love. So you no longer want to love. Sometimes you look at situations and you look at things that have happened to you in your past or in your present. And you say, God obviously doesn't love me. And we begin to, to go by the way that we feel. And that's why God said, here, let me lay a commandment out for you. Thou shalt love. Thou shalt love. The same way that you didn't lie or didn't steal or didn't kill or didn't covet. 
you shall love. You have the, uh, the privilege and the responsibility to love the Lord your God. And you can say, well, I, I've got this segment that I'm going to choose to love God with. No, no. He said, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. I think he covered all the bases. He said, everything that's in you, physically, everything, or mentally, everything that's in you physically, every, everything that's in you emotionally, he said, you're going to love God with all of that. Because when you love God with all of that, it's amazing that when you point your heart in the right direction, all of a sudden God will give you the feelings that you should have. God will begin to order your steps. God will begin to order your thoughts. God will begin to prepare that path for you when you love God with all of your heart. There's something powerful about love. No wonder God made it a commandment. Now, I, I think it's easy. I, I love worship services where we begin to commend people and, and challenge people to love God because of what he's done. It's easy for us. I thank God. I, I don't have to think for very long, and neither do you, about things that God has done so you can give him praise for. I, I, can, I can get myself worked up. I could have a hiccup, a huckup, a ho session right here, right now. I just got to start thinking about some of the great things that God has done. I just got to, I just got to kind of get my little woo on. Woo! You get a little, man, hasn't God been good? You get a little bit of that in you. You know what it's like when you're driving in the car all alone and nobody, nobody sees your, your Holy Ghost spell that you're going to have? Maybe that's just me. I don't think I'm alone. When you begin to think about the goodness of God, when you begin to, when you begin to talk to God or there's a song that begins to resonate in your spirit, I think that's good. I think that there are times when we've got to begin to see and remind ourselves about the greatness of God and that wells up an emotional response. But love goes deeper than that emotional response. Because when things aren't good, when things aren't going our way, God still said in that moment, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, with everything that you have in those moments, you still have a responsibility. There is a commandment that's resting on your life that you've got to love God with everything that you have. You've got to love him in spite of what you're walking through. You've got to love him because of what he's going to do. You've got to love him because of what there is left to happen in your life. You're waiting on it. You wish it would happen, but in the moment, you've got to love him because it's a commandment that's still a great place to be because God has a plan for us so so we get to we have to love God that's our first responsibility but he said the second commandment the second of the greatest commandment. he you know they, they said that what's the greatest commandment of God of all he said well love God with all thy heart with all your soul with all your mind and all your strength he said and the second is like namely this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself and that's where it gets a little muddy for us because our neighbor lets the dog out and it leaves a mess on our lawn. And they didn't clean it up. As a matter of fact, CCC happens to be a dog walking central location for all of Marysville. And more than one time, I have been taking trash out that door to that dumpster right out there. And I came in with way more on my shoe than I wanted to. And I have to do the one-shoe walk from there to the utility sink. Yeah. And in those moments, I want to put a sign up that says, leash your dog and clean up after him. But in those moments, God's saying, love your neighbor. There, there, you know, the other thing that, that CCC's parking lot is, is very 
very popular for is the Fast and the Furious. The Dukes of Hazard of the neighborhood. The, the quarter mile. I don't know if it is a quarter mile or not from the back of the parking lot to the beginning of Downing Street. But I, I'm pretty sure somebody must have paced it out and said, yeah, it's a quarter mile. Let's let You know it. You saw the, the black tire marks right from the front doors all the way down the road. It's in those moments where I wish, <clears throat> I wish that I could catch somebody. But I'm going to leave that for someone else because the Bible says in that moment, love your neighbor. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? you got to love your neighbor when it's not easy to love your neighbor. But in that moment, the feeling that isn't there becomes the command that is. And God is requiring us to love our neighbor. We ought to have good relationships with the people that live next door to us in real life. We ought, to have, we ought to have care and concern. As a matter of fact, it ought to be more than just, what was their name again? It ought to be more than that. Because the Bible says that, it, you know, I know it's, it's symbolic of the relationships that we have in our lives. It's not our physical neighborhood, maybe, per se. But it includes the physical neighborhood that we are in. And God is saying, love your neighbor as yourself. And there's no other commandment that is greater than those. Love is a command. As a matter of fact, you can read about it in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3. Paul made sure that both, the, both of the churches in Ephesus and in Colossae knew that love wasn't just a feeling. He knew that relationships for families to model what they should model and become the communities that they would become. He said, he said this, he said, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. In Colossians 3 and verse 19, he said, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Come on, somebody, just let it go. Let it go. I don't know the song. Love your wives. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter again. I don't know if that's, if that's a word from God for somebody. I don't know what supper was like. I don't know. I don't know what came up around the table. I don't know what came up on the drive to church tonight. But this is what God's saying. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Love's not a feeling. It's a command. Let's try that again. Love's not a feeling. It's a command. Why don't you say it with me? Love's not a feeling. It's a command. That sounded really one more time. Love's not a feeling. It's a command. It's not a feeling. And so if that becomes the basis for our conversation tonight, it helps frame the remainder of our commandments that <clears throat> are paradoxical. That's not like the world. That's, that's so unlike the world. It isn't funny. That's so unusual. That's so non-typical. That, that is not normal. For us to love people like that. But it's in those moments where we're able to love. In a commandment. To our neighbors. To our families. To those that are in, that are set in contact with us on a daily basis. That is what sets us apart. Love overlooks wrongdoing. Love forgives sin. Love, love steps over the hurdle that's between you and somebody else. Love does that. 
And I've watched it happen. And I've watched the miracle that occurs when someone knows that somebody shouldn't love them, but they do anyhow. I've watched what happens in people's lives in, the, in those moments, how they're able to encounter insurmountable odds. And then when they realize that love is on their side, they walk through the fire. Love can do that. Love can do that. It's not a feeling. It's a commandment. Number two. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Here's, here's the blank. Do good. Someone shout anyway. anyway. Kent Keith, he, he wrote this poem. It's, it's actually in the form of a poem. And uh, Mother Teresa had it on her wall. And, and uh, I guess some people wrongly ascribed it to her. But anyhow, this is the author of that poem. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives, but do good anyway. Psalm 109, verse 30, he said, I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth, yea, I will praise him among the multitude. He said, for he shall stand at the right hand of the poor to save him from those that condemn him, condemn his soul. If you do good, there are people that are going to be condemning to you. People will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Uh, let me just give you a scriptural example. If you looked in 1 Samuel chapter 17, you'd find the very common story of David and Goliath. We all know that story. We know about the giant that was there on the battlefield. We know that David was just a boy with a shepherd's sling. We know all that. But, but did you remember that when David showed up to the battle, the reason why he came? The reason that David showed up was because his father said, David, here's what I need you to do. I need you to take this wheat, and I want you to take this bread to your brothers who are on the battlefield. I want you to make sure that they're doing all right. Check in on them. Make sure they're not bickering and fighting and arguing one against another. He said, let's, let's just check in on your brothers, make sure they're doing, doing all right. And he said, I've got these 10 blocks of cheese. Take these 10 blocks of cheese, and I, I want you to give them to all the captains of all of the hosts that God has, all the armies of Israel, give them to the captains. And so David, he, the Bible tells us, he takes and he leaves the sheep with, with a shepherd. He leaves them with someone that's going to take care of them. He, he, does, he t- t- makes sure that his responsibility is in order. And then he is commissioned by his dad to be the nice guy, to his brothers on the battlefield. He's going to set his family apart. He's going to bring them honor. He's going to encourage the, the army. He's going, to, he's going to encourage his brothers. He's going to do the right thing. And, and without the Bible doesn't give us any indication of any hesitation at all on David's part. David just goes onto the battlefield. And he brings with him this load of stuff. And he, he gets there and he gets passing it out to his, his brethren. And, and what does the Bible say? His brothers come to him and they say, David, we know the naughtiness of thine heart. It's like, what? You don't understand. I just brought you bread. You've been hovering in a hole, scared of this guy on the battlefield. You haven't done anything. I'm coming to encourage you, and you're telling me I know that you know the naughtiness that's in my heart. What? And they're saying, you only came so that you could see the battle. And they, his good intentions, his good motive, his good actions, he gets accused of a selfish ulterior motive. He's demeaned, he's humiliated, he's, he's dishonored. And you've got to think about this. The book was written probably years later, but David never forgot his own brothers saying, I know the naughtiness of thine heart. He didn't forget it. The, the, the victory of Goliath falling to the ground didn't eclipse that moment of his brothers accusing him wrongly. 
The, the moment when, when he lops off David's head and, and Israel is like, in victory, and, and the Philistines are fleeing, and Saul's celebrating. All of that, all of that does not eclipse the statement that his brothers said, you are here for the wrong reason. He remembers, he's reminded of, he writes about it, it's discussed, it's conversed. He, he, you know, you are, you are going to have people that will accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. People are going to ascribe the wrong motive to your right activity. That's going to happen sometimes. People are going to misread you. People are going to misjudge you. People are going to talk down about you. The, the King James says false accusation. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's there. But here's, here's the blank. If, if you do good, people accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. Do good anyway. You, you can't control the, the way that people respond anyhow. People are going to say the wrong things when you attempt to do the right thing. They're going to say the wrong, uh, they're going to have all kinds of wrong motives applied to you. They're going to, there's going to be gossip that happens. The Bible talks about it for a reason. People are going to discuss you behind closed doors. People are going to call, call your motive into question. That's going to happen. And if you're not careful, when it happens a few times or it happens over and over, it happens one time, you're going to say, that's it. Forget it. I'm staying home. Uh, I'm going to love my family. And I'm not going to do anything good for anybody. Don't ever expect to see bread, wheat, or cheese on the field again. Good luck, you idiot. I'm going home. That's what you want to say. Do good anyway. You know what? You can't control the way people react or respond or what they say. You can't control the lies of the enemy. You can't control the lies of people. But you, if you will just continue doing what God has called you to do, God's got giants that are going to fall. God's got intentions for your life. God's got plans for your future. God's got a kingdom that's waiting for you to step up. God's waiting for all that. He's going to let you walk through a little bit of the mess before you see the miracle. That's the God that we serve. But can I remind mind you just keep doing good anyway it's going to set you apart it'll make it'll make you a different person smile nod and carry on i think i think it's popular with with the brit keep calm and carry on in moments like that just carry on continue to do good anyway anyway trust in the lord and do good is what psalm 37 says do good Number three, if you are success, successful, you will win false friends and true enemies. It's going to happen. If you're successful at any level, you will win false friends. People that want to be along for the ride. People that want to hop up on the wagon you got going. People that want to get drugged behind your sled. It's going to happen. People want, people want to get drugged in your wake. People want to get pulled along by, by your hard work. It's going to happen. I remember when we were kids, there were times when we were skateboarding and, you know, we, we usually got, got uh, permission from whoever was driving the car, but we would hang on to the bumper until we got up to a speed. Kids do not do that. Don't do that. 
Or we were on a bicycle and we'd hang on to the side of the window. Do not do that. Didn't want to pedal ourselves. We just wanted to, to get drug along for the ride. Didn't want to, didn't want to have the, do the effort. Didn't want to go through all the work. Didn't, didn't want all that. There, there are times there that that's going to happen in your life. People are going to hang on to your hard work and your effort. But if you stop because of that, you stop prematurely. Continue to succeed Anyway, if you want to write that down, if you're successful, you'll win false friends and true enemies, but succeed anyway. Jesus was patient with those that were along for the ride. Mark 14, verse 44, said that he that betrayed him had given them a token saying, whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goes straightway to him and say, master, master, and kissed him. Judas hung on to the disciples for the ride. He hung on to Jesus for the ride. But you don't see where Jesus says, oh, Judas, I'm finished with you. I'm done. It's over. We're quitting. It's all done. But if you're patient with people, Jesus was. He just let it play out. It may be that in that season where you're just working, continuing to work with someone who's there for all the wrong reasons that eventually the light that's in you is going to shine on the darkness in them. And God will turn something around in their life. Succeed anyway. Succeed anyway. Number four, the good that you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. I see a theme. Do good anyway. The good that you do. Sometimes it feels like all of your effort. Now these are life lessons. How many... How many can say you've been down the road a little while and you know that this, this could be very true for very many people? That the good that you've done gets forgotten. That's a difficult place to be in. Sometimes against the backdrop of a greater success, sometimes against the backdrop of something else that happens, your hard work and your effort isn't even acknowledged or noticed. That happens sometimes. You put extra effort into the project. You worked hard on the presentation. You, you, <laughs> you cleaned the floor. Sometimes, you know, sometimes people, <clears throat> the work that you do is never noticed. Nobody notices the clean carpet, but everybody notices the dirty one. Nobody says anything about the clean glass, but whoo, let there be a handprint on the door. And we're going to talk about that. Never mind that it could have been the first person through the clean doors that got the glass dirty. We're going to talk about the dirty glass. It may be. It may be. It may be that the good that you did is going to get forgotten in just a few moments. But the commandment, the paradoxical commandment says, don't quit. Do good anyway. Bear down in the moments when nobody's around. Push hard when nobody sees you pushing. Because in those moments, let me tell you what's happening. It isn't just about the good that you're doing. It's about the good that's being done in you. God's building strength in you. And God's building <clears throat> power to resist in many areas in you. So in those moments when you do good and it's forgotten, or nobody acknowledges it, or nobody even seems to notice it, don't stop then. Continue to do good anyhow. I know, I know that what happens in your life, and I know that what happens in your home. Moms, you make lunches. How often? I, I still love the story of Michelle Munn changing little David's diaper. 
I don't know how long. She's changed diapers in that, in that Sunday school class for 20-some years. David looked, looked up and said, thanks, good job. <laughs> I don't know how many, and you know, I, I'm, I'm confident that Kathy and I would be guilty that we didn't say thank you for the times when Chris, or that, that Kristen was five when she got there. If she was changing her diaper, we're all in trouble. <clears throat> but I'm sure that when Justin was in their class, they changed Justin's diapers. I'm confident that there are many Sundays when we didn't say, hey, did you have to change his diaper? Oh, you thank you for that. Didn't get said. Had to happen from a two-year-old. <laughs> thanks, great job. <laughs> Would you look at your neighbor and say, thanks, great job. Thanks. You know, for, the, for what you worked on that nobody acknowledged, you're getting... Let me just, let us just thank you right now. Find somebody nearby and say, look, thank you so much for the thing that you did that nobody even realized was done. No, put a little, put a little in it tonight. Thank you so much. There's Michelle, I was looking for you. Thank you, thank you. Michelle, thank you. Thank you so much for those Sundays when it was one less diaper to change. Thank you. Do good anyway. You may want to circle that. You may, you may want to borrow a Sharpie from your neighbor and just kind of put an exclamation mark behind that. Do good anyway. Do good anyway. Let me, let me just bring some scripture into it. Deuteronomy 34, verse 10 to 11. The Bible tells us that there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all of his servants and to all of his land. Man, what an epitaph for Moses is written in scripture right there for us to see. It says, none like him since. There was nobody like Moses there. You know, if anybody should have been thanked and if anybody should have, thank you for walking us through the tin plagues. Thank you for not quitting when Pharaoh refused to let us go. Thank you. Thank you for hearing God's voice. Thank you for coming out of the wilderness. Thank you for hearing God when he talked to you out of the burning. Thank you, Moses. I'm going to guess it didn't happen. Let me, let me tell you what did happen. Just a few days wandering into the wilderness, Israel was saying, you brought us out here to die. what happens so when people treat you like that and you feel like quitting when you when you when you feel do good anyway do good anyway honesty and frankness number five make you vulnerable sure does be frank and honest anyway can, can we go back to that love thing before we finish this because some people they're opportunity to be rude and nasty is, is lost in frank and earnest. That's not two guys. That's <laughs> you be frank and I'll be earnest. <laughs> honest is the word. To be frank and honest. But let's let's couple that with love. Right? Because some people, your idea of being honest and to be frank, it's your opportunity to be rude and mean. It's your opportunity to tear a strip off of somebody and let them know, man. They're going to find out. I'm going to be frank and honest. I'm going to be frank and earnest. 
That's not what it's about. Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth, what? Thank you. In love. Speak the truth in love. Sometimes being frank and honest, you need to do it with love. I know we're at number five and we're at seven minutes, six minutes too. If you can listen fast, I'll talk quick. Are you ready? Speak the truth in love. You can be honest and loving at the same time, period. Honesty and truth telling is a is something that's beginning to be lost in our culture of our day. We all want to give everybody a thumbs up, five stars, no failures. But sometimes the, the most important thing that somebody needs to hear is the concern that God placed in your heart for them about something that you've observed or something that you see. And God lets you in on what's happening so that you, with honesty, being earnest, with love, can go and help them redirect a path that they are on that's leading to destruction. But if you're honest with them, say, here's something that concerns me. I'm just coming to you in love. This concerns me. This worries me. I see I'm concerned about this trend. And if you're able to do and reach and love and speak with honesty and integrity, there's something powerful that can happen in in people's lives. You know, I, I see this happening in social media. It's like best day ever, you know, when it's a hamburger or something. Honesty is lost in our culture. The best day ever is like a child being born or your marriage or Holy Ghost or baptism. Those are best days ever. Not hot fudge Sunday. I, I think I'm hungry. <laughs> but honesty and, and integrity with love can help people a great deal. So people... It will make you vulnerable. It will, it will put you out there. People can attack you for your motive like they did with David. But if you're frank and honest and you do it with love, then God will help you help people that need help. That's what I know. Number six, the biggest man with the biggest idea can be shot down by the smallest man with the smallest mind. Think big every, anyway. Uh, <clears throat> I did first my, uh, a discussion that I had about second man and, and you know, helping people understand the role of assistant pastors and people in secondary roles of ministry. I, <clears throat> I did this entire study on, on uh, it was called The Pulpit in the Pew, and it was about why ministers left ministry. And, and I began to read through all of these statistics about uh, polls that have been taken about why ministers had left the ministry. And, and it was amazing that at, after they were able to step away from the situation or the, the, past, uh, the pastor that they were leading in, that the many times ministers would leave because of just two or three people that got up against them in a group of maybe 100 people. But after a while, all that they could see was just the negativity. After a while, all that they could see was the few people that were pushing back against the bigger goal. All they could see was somebody that was upset or somebody that was hurt. And it pushed them off purpose, off plan. Just because of a few negative voices, it's going to happen. So you can have great vision and great purpose and great intention, but it can get derailed by some small, petty, insignificant feedback that you just need to step over. 
I think that's all we need to say on that one. Opposition didn't stop Daniel. Let me just, I got his picture there, so we may as well talk about him. It put him, uh, his good activity put him in the lion's den. But his prayerful activity that put him there was the prayerful activity that got him out. So don't let a few negative voices get you off track. God is still directing your path. Number seven, people favor underdogs, but follow top dogs. That happens. Fight for the underdog anyway. You know who I see, uh, now this is maybe, this is not a mutual admiration committee, but there's somebody on our staff that I see that does this regularly, and that's Matt Woodward. I see Matt Woodward push and fight for people and reach for people that a lot of people overlook. I've watched him stop when many people have walked by an individual. I've watched him stop and take meaningful time to dialogue and discuss with them. And I, I've learned from Pastor Matt a few, a few things. I, I watched him as a young person when he would intentionally include people that nobody else included. I, I'm just saying that sometimes um, we, we say we're favoring the underdog or that we're looking for the person that's, that's overlooked or we're looking for the person that that is that's needing help right now but often we're we're content to be with the people that we're comfortable with but they're this principle this commandment is saying fight for the underdog anyhow find someone that doesn't have anybody and pull for them reach for them talk talk with them connect with them you don't understand how, how just a, simple, a few simple sentences or, or a few words of encouragement can go a long way in somebody's life. You have no idea how. You, you may think, I don't have influence with that person. You do. I'm going to tell you right now. You do. And if you can bring encouragement, if you can help them through a, a troubled patch that they're in, they may be an underdog, but God has great plans for them as well. Jesus was that way. He said, the people that are whole don't need physicians, but those that are sick. And we need to involve that mentality in our thinking. Number eight, what you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. It happened with Job. Job, you know, in just a matter of moments, he lost everything. He lost his family. He lost his livestock, his cattle. He lost anything that he possessed materially. He lost it all. But he didn't charge God foolishly in that moment. He didn't, he didn't lose hope. He, he, you know, the Bible talks to us about a few questions that he had for God. And, and then it talks about the questions that God asked Job back. All those, we won't take time to unpack all of that. But, but in those moments, Job didn't give up. How do I know that Job didn't give up? Because when it came time for God to bless Job again, God didn't, or Job just didn't quit. Job said, oh, I've been here before. I don't want to accumulate anything. I don't want to have any more family. I, I don't want any more kids. I don't want anything else because I know what it's like to lose all that. Uh-uh. Job said, okay, let's carry on. Let's continue. And the Bible says that at the end, Job was greater than he ever was in his former. Why? Because he didn't quit. Build anyway. Build anyway. You know, my, <clears throat> I watched my father when I was... When I was just a young person, I don't think we have anybody to come back to music tonight. Ryan, you may come up and just play something. I'm not going to sing. Just let people think I'm finishing. <laughs> Thank you. Long story short, I watched my dad invest a ton of time, effort into the St. John YMCA. 
he was the maintenance director there, and, and he was more than just a floor cleaner. He was a you know, general contractor, and I watched him take that old raggedy building and turn it into a, you know, a usable, functional space. But the, the reality was is that the building was just way too old to become what they needed it to become. So I watched through my teen years my dad invest and pour and time in. And, and as a matter of fact, when it came to the point where they told everybody that we're going to just, we're moving to a new location, we're building a new building, I wondered how that was going to impact my dad. I wondered how he was going to respond to that when, when you've invested thousands of hours into building something. And then you show up, one day it's there, and the next day, literally, a wrecking ball has taken the whole thing down. I was worried about how that would impact my father. I was like, man, I think part of him is going to die when that building goes. But I watched his dad just kind of, he celebrated the transition. He celebrated the new location. And, and I learned a valuable lesson in, in that season of my life. I watched, I watched him kind of walk through that. And, and I was concerned. I, I told a few people. I talked to my mom about it. I talked to Kathy about it. I said, I don't know how dad's going to handle that. But I watched as he never said a word about it. I didn't bring it up. I wasn't going to bring it up. Maybe years later, I, I mentioned something to him about it. And he said, well, that is kind of like his idea was like, that old building needed to go. Like, good Lord, didn't want to saddle anybody else with that. <clears throat> so do, you know, build anyway. You may lose all of your investment, but it's not, a, it's, it's about what happens in that moment. It, you can't, you can't always assume everything that you do is going to be an eternal thing. It may be a temporary thing that builds something eternal. It may be something that allows us to function. It's all kingdom. When you, when you realize that, that the kingdom of God is bigger than me and it's bigger than you and, and God is so many pieces on the chessboard that he's moving around so that at the end he can have this eternal checkmate in our lives. God's working. Anyhow, don't quit. Number nine, people really need help, but they may attack you if you do help them. Help people anyway. I'll sum it up. Hurt people, hurt people. I'll also say this, that people stand together. The, the, the most dangerous responses, I, I, I know some people in policing, they say the most dangerous uh, calls that you, that you go to are domestic calls where a husband calls about a wife or a wife calls about a husband. Those are the ones you really got to watch because the moment you start to try and bring order to that situation, you're trying to maybe say they're trying to stop a husband and all of a sudden the wife is on their back. They needed help, but then all of a sudden they attack the person that's there to help them. That happens... That happens emotionally and socially in our lives too. But, but don't stop helping people anyway because people really need the help that you have. Finally, give the world the best that you have. I liked how the author put it. You'll get kicked in the teeth, but give the world the best you have anyway. Someone just say anyway. Joseph, the story of Joseph is there. As for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good and to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Joseph took the right road. And if you think through his life, he had the worst of circumstances handed to him, but he did the best in every single one of those. Whether it was Potiphar's house, 
whether it was in the jail cell, whether it was under Pharaoh's command, in every area, Joseph rose to the surface because he gave it the very best. He got kicked in the teeth at every turn of the way. His brothers turned him in, turned him over, betrayed him. They were traitors. But he, come on, he just gave it the very best that he had. And the world was different. The world was changed. As, as a matter of fact, the world was saved because he did, period. How many know that that's not very culturally, uh, you know, accurate, but we can change the culture of the part of the world that we're in if we live like that. Someone say amen. We left you a little card. Why don't you tuck that in your Bible, tuck it in your purse, or stick it on your fridge. It tells you about those paradoxical commands. It's not like the world it runs counterculture. But if we can live that way, I promise light will shine in the midst of darkness. And the church said, amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Father, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that you call us to live differently. God, you call us to be set apart. God, you call us to live the way that you would desire for us to live. And God, I'm praying that as people leave tonight, that we would be committed to these commandments. I pray that you would allow us to live different in a world that is me first and selfish. And God, I pray that you would allow us to be your voice to the ears that need to hear it most. I pray that you would allow us to speak peace in the midst of turmoil. God, I pray that you would help us build your kingdom, not for our sake, but for your sake. God, I help you to God, I pray that you would help us to do good when it feels impossible. And God, I pray that you would allow us to love unconditionally. God, you and everybody that you place us in contact with, you're a great God. God, you have a great plan for us. And we give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said amen. Amen. It's been so good to be in Bible study with you tonight. Greet one another.